This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe, it's Booker Prize short this time and hot off the press, we'll be bringing you this year's final six books. It is, and that's not all. Uh, To celebrate the announcement of this year's shortlist, we'll be debating what we think the best book of shortlist of all time is. And we're going to be doing that with a really special guest. This is Bob Jackson, who's uh, a man who's not only read every single book that's ever been shortlisted for the Booker Prize, but more astonishingly still, as far as I can see, he's remembered them all. Um, So he'll be bringing his encyclopedic knowledge to bear on proceedings. I'm Joe Hamia. And I'm James Walton. And welcome to the Booker Prize podcast. Okay then, Joe, let's uh, give the listeners the big six of this year's Booker Prize shortlist. They are Prophet Song by Paul Lynch, Study for Obedience by Sarah Bernstein, If I Survive You by Jonathan Escoffery. And The Beasting by Paul Murray, Western Lane by Chetna Maru, and This Other Eden by Paul Harding. So first reactions, Joe? I mean, my first reaction is that's got to be the first ever Booker shortlist with three people called Paul on it. I think they should have a convention, Paul Con. It would be great. Um, My reaction is that I actually finished The Bee Sting at the beginning of this week and I like violently sobbed, like really ugly cried for about 400 pages of that book. It's like 600 pages long. So that's quite an achievement, isn't it? And my partner found me like on the sofa about 11 o'clock at night just like going like (gasps) and he was like what is wrong with you and I was like it's not me it's Paul Murray who's done this to me so I think that's really really well deserved and I've also started Western Lane by Chetna Maru which I'm um actually really really enjoying but in a very in a much calmer kind of collected way (laughs) yeah well okay you put me to shame a bit there Joe because I've read none of them at this stage but that will be put right because we're going to bring two podcasts count them two in which uh, we discuss at in some depth uh, the whole shortlist. So that be obviously mathematicians can work out three per episode, um, and that'll be coming up in October. Uh, James and I had a fabulous night last night at the National Portrait Gallery at the uh, shortlist announcement, quaffing champagne, you know, That's right. oozing in. intelligence, walking That's around. Hanging out with our literary mates. I even got out of my Beatles t-shirt, <laughs> got into my glad rags. Uh, and that was uh, for, for that swanky do at the National Portrait Gallery. We, we heard those six books announced. Can't wait to get stuck into them. And we got stuck into the champagne. So all that being said, I think we should get to the main body of this episode because our guest is like genuinely phenomenal. He is a man who has outdone both James and I <laughs> uh, by reading all 315 book novels. I mean, truly putting us to shame. And we thought, who better than that kind of expert to debate the best shortlist of all time? And to do that, we've got a special guest with us, Bob Jackson. Hi, Bob. Hello. 
Well, I suppose let, let, let's let's have a few fairly obvious but interesting questions to me anyway. What's your favourite ever winner? My favourite ever winner is the, um, and there's not much of a contest here because it's a fabulous book. It's the uh, Narrow Road to the Deep North. Uh, Richard Flanagan. Yes, about the um, uh, Burma and the Death Railway and prisoners of uh, prisoners of war. He's Australian, and it was based on an Australian character. His father, I think it was his father, was actually a, a prisoner of war. And it was the winner in 2014, I believe. Yeah, okay. it is a terrific book. Powerful that's... book. Yeah. yeah, really emotionally powerful. And least favourite? Winner. Still with winners. Least favourite winner? Least favourite winner. Um, yeah, I mean, good company, I think, here, because one of the judges at the time said, if, if this wins, I'm packing up because it's bleep. Create your own adjective, and uh, it's how late it was, how late James Kelman, uh, which I really like. <laughs> I think I'm about the only uh, person. I, 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 it's a, I mean, for people who don't know it, it's essentially a sweary stream of consciousness from a Glaswegian drunk. Would that That's mean? a perfect would that mean? summary. Yeah, I wish yeah. he'd just written that and <laughs> then submitted it. It, it. I suppose it's not exactly an easy, but I, 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 it stirred me. Uh, I guess, like, my questions are <laughs> a bit nerdier. Um, did you have a system while you were reading? Did you go chronologically or just by taste? Or? Not not to start with, um, certainly not by taste. But mm -hmm. when I started this, I, I sort of mentally piled up 300-plus books in front of me. I thought, I'm never going to do this. Yeah. Uh, so I just picked books as they came along on the bookshelf, just had them in a queue. Uh, I think I put them in alphabetical order, but not in year order. And then I was maybe... A third of the way through and thought this is this has got to be a better way of doing this because I'm not really um, enjoying the comparisons of the six shortlisted ones in any one year so I then quite early in the process started to look at each year in, in a block which by and large was uh, you know doable with a few exceptions because some books were tough to get hold of. I mean, some some people, obviously not us on the Booker Prize podcast, have used the word Booker novel in a slightly derogatory way. Are there, were there any books that made you think, oh, God, here we go again? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, good. Oh, oh, there we are. So we're fine. So those people are all wrong, okay? There are a lot of people out there who have an immediate negative attitude towards the Booker Prize. It's elitist. It in no way represents current global literature in, in any way. And it's just about the money. That's uh, possible. There's not much money in it anyway. What's what's fifty grand in the current These economy? Days, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we promised right at the start that we're not a propaganda podcast, but I, I do think the Booker Prize is pretty high-minded. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really yeah. do think it sets out to find the best novel of the year. So, Bob, if we're going to widen the scope a little bit sure. to all shortlisted novels, but what has been your favourite? Can I just start by saying I, f I finished the um, 315 books mm -hmm. uh, as were the shortlist up to and including 2021 in October 2022. Actually finished the 315th when the winner of that year was announced just by a, a fluke, I think. But um, I'd got two books in mind as I finished the whole thing, uh, which seemed to be fairly equal as my, my favourites. One we mentioned, which was The Narrow Road to the Deep North, and the other one, which is over that period of time since then, has really risen to become my clear favourite. And that's A Little Life by Henry Anigahara. And it's the most extraordinary book. It's a difficult book. It's brutal. It's raw. But the characters she creates, the principal four best mates living in New York, 
with Jude and these other they just stuck with me and having and I still feel a real affinity to those characters and particularly Jude and I thought the book was absolutely tremendous but uh, more so than that it's just the uh, just the whole offer in that book it's tremendous okay so now is perhaps the time to move on the plan is we we're going to try and between ourselves agree which might be ambitious on the best ever shortlist we've all brought two along yep. which we're going to explain sort of uh i think in, in you know we'll go around do one each uh so bob what's your first nomination for best ever book of shortlist ever ever uh, 1985 uh-huh. Um, and 1985, uh, the winner was the brilliant The Bone People. By Terry Hume, and uh, another one that divided people. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. But I just love the way the book starts and she, how she develops the young child's personality and all that follows. I thought it was tremendous. I mean, this was, the, I mean, again, just for people who don't know, this is a set among the sort of Aboriginal people of New Zealand, Correct. isn't it? And, it is. and in fact, what she didn't turn up, but she sent... Two Maori women. Yeah, to two Maori women who sort of ululated their way to the stage for the for the acceptance <laughs> yeah for the acceptance yeah wonderful okay yep yep uh, but also in that year um there are um a couple of other really crucial books to me in terms of my enjoyment of the whole process there are two of my top 10 i did mm -hmm. this a mental sort of top 10 and made some notes and two of my top 10 are doris lessing's the good terrorist which is a, you know, a simple, charming book in many respects, but it works on a number of levels and the character and the innocence of that character and then the uh, the sheer carnage that develops from that innocence and the way she goes about delivering her belief in London in the, uh, in the 60s is just really, really well articulated and put together. The second one in my top ten in that year um, is Last, Les Last Letters from Have, by Jan Morris. It's the only travel book in the Book of Shortlist library, wow. but it's about a place that doesn't exist. It's a really, really clever piece of writing. Jan Morris was a, a journalist of some note. She was the Sunday Times correspondent on the 53 Everest expedition. Uh, and it's about Hav, which is a fictional country, but uh, I guarantee if you read this, you'll be going to the internet trying to find out where Hav is. She makes it so real. But it's completely invented, a charming, charming piece of writing. And then also in there with those three, that's the Bone People, Good Terrorist, and Last Letters from Have. There's an Iris Murdoch, fantastic, only one of only two to be shortlisted six times in the history of the whole thing. And then a charming. And that's the Good Apprentice, the Iris Murdoch. It is yeah. the Good Apprentice. I apologise. Yeah. And then J. L. Carr, the Battle of Pollock's Crossing, who's been shortlisted twice, Jim Carr. Short books, both of his books are really quite short books. Um, what was the other, a month in the A month in the country, country yes. yeah. About a war veteran yes. coming back and finding love and losing it through his own uh, nervousness, really. Yeah. Uh, Illiwaka by Peter Carey. Yeah, what do you say about Peter Carey? It was one of his early books, just fantastic, just mental. Hundred, the 139-year-old Illiwaka, which is defined as a, a con man, basically. Yeah. And uh, I just... I think it catapulted him into the public eye, that book. Yeah, it was. It was a breakthrough, yeah. It was a really, really good read. So the fact that there are two books amongst the six in my top ten, the fact that the winner I heartily approved of, and it could have gone to any of four, in my opinion, that year, the three I mentioned, plus Illy Wecker. Um, and I just, having gone through the 50 
something like 54, 55 lists. That's the one I came up with. Um, I'm going to start off with 1989. Hmm. I mean, I have various reasons for this one. It's, it's partly on the strength of the novels, but also um, on the strength of the writers and of the kind of psychosocial affair <laughs> around uh, the ceremony that year. So the shortlist uh, comprised James Kelman's uh, Disaffection, which I, are you going to continue defending Kelman I, for me here? I, I love a Disaffection. James. <laughs> it, en it ends, as far as I remember, uh, with a sort of about 800 page thing of two brothers getting drunk together and just talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my kind of book. But it's a, it's, it's a week in the life of a, a thoroughly disenchanted 29 year old teacher who uh i i guess in the manner of a lot of sort of um social service workers is just almost completely given up on the moral or sort of politically structural worth of his uh yeah. job and there is a lot of kind of drunken ranting and there there is a lot of chasing after another very pretty teacher down the school corridors um the next book on the shortlist is margaret atwood's uh Cat's Eye, about a painter called Elaine, um, who um, sort of over the course of the novel revisits um, a, a very strange set of friendships in her school years. Um, it's sort of a classic uh, tale of uh, schoolyard bullies, but quite distinctly feminine. And um, at the time, it was sort of seen to overthrow uh, quite twee narratives about um, sort of all women being best friends in the mm. pursuit of feminism. Um, then we have Restoration um, by Rose Tremaine, um, which is about a man called Merivale who sort of uh, ends up in the court of King Charles because he cures his dog. And it's about his sort of um, fall from grace and gradual coming to self-awareness. Um, next, there's John Bounville's The Book of Evidence, mm. uh, which is a a prison uh, kind of monologue or testimony by a man called Freddie Montgomery. It's quite um, surreal yeah. and gruesome. Then Jigsaw by Sybil Bedford, um, which is actually, it strikes me as quite a kind of Jean Rhys novel set in the interwar years. Um, Semi-autobiographical um, in which the narrator, Billy, tells the kind of story of her uh, childhood and uh, later uh, of her kind of years uh, on the coast of France, kind of surrounded by artists and intellectuals who show her how to kind of live a proper life. And then there is, of course, uh, the winner, which I think most kind of Booker-oriented uh, people will have read, uh, Kazuo Shigura's um, the Remains of the Day, which concerns Stevens, the butler, as he negotiates um, working for a new American master um, and thinks over the mistakes of his past, uh, which contain uh, primarily working for a uh, fascist aristocrat and letting the love of his life, Miss Kenton, go. Uh, he also spends a lot of time learning how to banter. Um, and I've chosen 1989, just slightly convoluted. I, I was born in 1997, but I feel a weird sense of nostalgia <laughs> over this list. Um, a lot of the books uh, concern a kind of form of alienation. Thanks, Joe. That is a strong list. Uh, shall I go for my first one? 
Yes, James, go ahead. Please tell My us first yours. one is 1984. And um, there aren't that many writers, I think, that I've read all the books of, but there's two on this list. And in both cases, it's my favourite of all, uh, which is Flaubert's Parrot by mm. Julian Barnes and Small World by David Lodge. So the way Flaubert's Parrot works is it's about uh, a guy who his wife has lost his, his, his wife has died and he's trying to make sense of it. And he tries to make sense of it through Flaubert, actually. Yeah. He, 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 it's kind of displacement. But the displacement doesn't quite work. I mean, there's a lot of emotion in there. It, it, it's a sort of cliche to say about Julian Barnes that he's best as, a, as an essayist. And I don't think that's true because this book is, I think... Uh, pretty heartbreaking too. But he is very good at imparting information and just all sorts of stuff that crosses his mind. There's a great section on literary mistakes, whether they matter. So uh, you remember there's the bit where in Lord of the Flies where Piggy's glasses are used to set fire to yep. something. They couldn't have been used to set fire to him because he's short-sighted. So uh, <laughs> the rays would have diverged yeah. rather than converged. It's f it's one of the funniest books, I think, that's been on the book of shortlist. I think it's, it's the funniest of the three. Yeah, in the, um, uh, I think it's his, his best book. Yeah, Morris's app. What a character. And then there was the hot favourite, uh, which was Empire of the Sun mm. by J.G. Ballard, uh, later a Steven Spielberg movie. In fact, the book he stopped taking bets on it. Um, it's about it's based on his J.G. Ballard's own childhood mm. as um, in Shanghai when the Japanese invaded. But oddly enough, it lost out to um, Hotel du Lac by Anita Bruckner, which is by far the quietest book on the shortlist. Um, I mean, Anita Bruckner is sometimes stereotyped writing about lonely Cardigan wearing spinsters with nice mansion flats in London. Sad girl uh, lit, is it? It, it, it <laughs> sort of is. I've got a friend who swears there's no Anita Bookman novel in which a sort of lonely old spinster doesn't slop food into the bin after the failure of a bow to turn up from, for, for a meal. And Hotel Du Lac is about a lonely woman. Edith Hope writes romantic novels, is the main character. Um, and she has had uh, an affair that's ended in, well, she's had some, some romantic disgrace that you find out about back in London and she's come to uh, Lake Geneva Hotel there, and she observes the guests. And not, not, not a colossal amount happens, but she observes them so beadily and observes herself so beadily. Um, I mean, in a way, I suppose I do think, as many people did at the time, it was lucky to win. But I'm sort of mm. pleased it did. And there is also. So I think for a good shortlist, you want a sort of little bit of controversy, which is that against all of those books, Anita Bruckner's Hotel du Lac wins. Um, and then the other two I can't claim to be entirely familiar with, but they are by... I do know they're both by extremely good authors. Uh, Anita Desai with In Custody. And then according to Mark by Penelope Lively, who went on to win the book three years later with um, Moon Tiger. Mm. Um, so that seems a pretty good shortlist to me. So, Bob, what's your next shortlist for us? The year 2000 is my second year. And in that year, the, the wonderful Margaret Atwood won the booker uh, with The Blind Assassin, mm. which is uh, a superbly constructed double story, if you will. It's about a rich Canadian industrialist and his family who fall on hard times um, uh, and a woman who is writing a book called The Blind Assassin, which is a bit of a mental plot. But the, the way that Atwood weaves the two things together keeps bringing you back to the present as it was. This is going back into the 1900s, 1920s, and it's got one of the best opening lines in, in any book, book, which is the she quotes a year and says, the year my sister drove her car off the bridge and into the river. And you think, where is this going? It's not the best, not the best opening sentence, but it's one of the best. So also in that year, um, Tretza Atzapadi, uh, The Hiding Place, a fabulous novel set in the Maltese community of Tiger Bay in the 60s. Um, and The Hiding Place is because 
one of the many children of the principal character is uh, a young woman, young girl who hides in a particular room in, in the house because her father is somewhat violent. But it opens a whole uh, new world, really, to, to me as not having any experience of how diverse and a diverse mix Cardiff and Tiger Bay particularly was in the 50s and 60s with Somalis, with Maltese, people from all over the world coming into the city through trade, through seaborne trade, and a, and a very tight book and tight story. Um, and if, it hadn't, if Atwood hadn't been nominated that year, I think that may well have clinched it. Um, Michael Collins, The Keepers of Truth, that was not a book that I would go overboard with, and that was almost stopped me choosing 2000 as my second list, but it didn't because there is a Kashua, Kashua Katsua Ishigura in there, When We Were Orphans, a fabulous, fabulous book, like I think all his four shortlisted books, and indeed his other handful of novels. Matthew Neal, English Passengers, have you guys read oh, that? Oh yeah, I have read that. <laughs> that's, a, that's an astonishing book, actually. It's just a romp through yeah, seafaring and nefarious, and oh, it's just fant fantastic. It's fundamentally about someone seeking, some guy in the 19th century uh, seeking the Garden of Eden, and he's on board this ship to get passage to, to um, the far side of the world, but they don't, these guys don't realize they're on board this ship, which is a Manx smuggling, Isle of Man smuggling ship with a, a classic double hold, double skin, and stashed between the two skins of the ship as all sorts of stuff. And uh, it's a romp, really. And it's a very, very clever comedic novel, but most enjoyable. Um, the Deposition of Father McGreevy is a, a strange little novel, Brian Doherty. And it starts off with a guy accidentally overhearing a conversation in a pub in London about a village in Kerry where he grew up and some sort of strange goings on with regard to the Catholic... <laughs> Why should I be surprised about strange going on, goings on in Ireland with regard to, to Catholic priests? But he goes back to Ireland to try and investigate what's actually happened in this particular village. That was one of the early ones to do that, though, wasn't it, mm. in a way? Mm. Uh, it, it is quite early on, yeah. 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 Before anything really hit the fan. Yeah, before it became almost a sort of cliche of Irish literature, really. I mean... Okay, well, I um, I haven't sort of ranked my two lists. For me, they're sort of on equal par, and I think that's because I've chosen them more on the basis of personal preference than anything else. But my, my second shortlist is from 2016, oh. um, so I'm bringing us <laughs> further right. up to date. Um, and uh, I've chosen this because I... <laughs> I'm always the youngest person in the room recording this podcast. So I have to say, I'm really embarrassed to say that the first time that I sort of really properly engaged with a uh, a book, a long list or a book, a short list as it was being announced and as speculation was sort of rising around the press as to who would win. And the first time that, you know, Booker took on any sort of importance in my consciousness uh, was uh, in 2013. Um, and I was... God, how old was I? I was 16. And um, I was trying to kind of think from that point on um, in a kind of contemporary to me sense, is there a, a shortlist that has been 
remarkable because I I don't just want to look back into a past I never lived in, James. I want to be no, 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 proud no. of the present I exist in. I think that's allowed. And um, and actually, um, when I stopped to look at the list for 2016, I found that there it it was full of novels, um, that have actually in one way or another been quite uh formative to the literary landscape that I work in, or which have served as really good examples of the current literary landscape that I I work and write and read in. Um, and that these books have probably uh, shaped n- not only my thought, but the thought of a lot of my peers. So <clears throat> we have um, on the list, uh, Madeline Thien's Do Not Say We Have Nothing, um, which is a kind of epic uh you know saga spanning three generations from the end of the uh chinese civil war in 1949 to the book's present day um and the uh protagonist sort of seeks to um kind of create a book of records of her ancestral history Mm. that kind of puts me in mind of a whole set of books that I encountered you know my my first literary job was as a bookseller in Waterstones and at the time books like um Pachinko by Min Jin Lee or Homecoming by Yaga Yazi were really just sweeping everyone's consciousness um and so there is sort of a uh, you know, that book really encapsulated that movement for me. Um, then we have uh, Deborah Levy's Hot Milk, mm. um, which is this kind of very short, very sweaty kind of mother daughter psychological meltdown. Deborah Levy, for, for me, has been quite an influential writer. I think it's as a result of reading uh, writers like her that I write quite short novels that tend to actually maybe i write sad girl lit james now that i think about it but of the classiest possible kind <laughs> of the classiest possible kind deborah levy's really good um at making sort of uh what seems like just ordinary family drama into a thriller and mm. that's what hot milk does really well and i see it's kind of um children being spawned in a lot of what we've <laughs> dubbed as sad girl lit in our present moment um there's um atessa moshfeg's eileen mm. atessa moshfeg i mean eileen i should say first of all is just the weirdest just most flatulent dirty novel <laughs> ever it's about the central character eileen who lives with her alcoholic father and um uh works in a prison and who is absolutely enamored with this woman she meets called Rebecca St. John. Eileen regularly purges herself. She has an eating disorder. It's just like a deeply nasty, unpleasant book in the way that a lot of Moshveg's work is. And um Moshveg since 2016, I suppose, has become another sort of cultural icon for for my generation. There's a whole swathe of young women on TikTok touting um my year of rest and relaxation in the way that you know holding a Joan Didion novel used to be cool um there's also All That Man Is by David Zaloy series of um short stories um that kind of take you through um I guess the phases of Ah, life this is the book about nine there are nine characters y- aren't there yeah different ages and then he, he yeah. kind of draws them together yeah. yeah, and quite an episodic structure. Um, and then Graham McCrae Burnett's um, His Bloody 
project um in which isn't so much a kind of who done it as a why done it it's mm. um a book centered around a murder trial that has kind of gripped the British public and it's it contains the memoir uh of the is he 17 mm-hmm. of the 17 yeah. year old boy uh on trial who uh seeks absolutely no absolution who confesses to all these murders and so really through this memoir through newspaper clippings and etc you're less looking for you know uh, who the murderer is more what his motives are why he's so more morally corrupt you know how can he not feel any sort of need for absolution or moral resolution and the winner for that year paul beatty's the sellout who's protagonist in a bid to um put his small town in California back on the map, decides to reinstate segregation and slavery. And which, actually, you can listen to uh, an episode on from yeah, well, James well, well, and I yeah, on yeah. your very own book of podcast. Very much so. But friend of the show. That's, that's interesting that a lot of the things that are playing out now yeah. you, you identify around 2016. I think it's just an incredibly um, representative shortlist yeah. of sort of where we were and where we've ended up. Mm-hmm. Um, so James, what's your final? Well, I've, I've gone uh, sort of modern, uh, 2005. <laughs> it's um, a good one. Uh, no, it is a good one. Um, it was won by The Sea by John Banville, which is uh, it is exquisitely written, as everybody always says um, about Banville. But this one particularly, uh, retired art historian looking back on his entire life with particular reference to the death of his loved ones. Um, uh, uh, it's nice to see a work of art win the Booker Prize. Someone mm. said, but uh, unfortunately, it was Banville himself. Um, <laughs> oh, there's also a quiz question on this one, uh, which is, uh, in what way was the 1978 Booker winner twice the novel that won in 2005? Pass. Uh, it's, uh, it's slightly cornly. Uh, 1978, The Sea, The Sea, and this is just The Sea. No, oh, no. come on, come on. Uh, and then, but he was a close run thing, apparently. Never Let Me Go by Ishiguro again. He's, he's sure. showing up quite a lot. Um, it seems to be a... As, as usual with Ishiguro, like, you know, The Ruins of the Day is not a book about a, a butler particularly. It's a you know, book about how yeah. you work with regret and, and so on. And in this particular case, I think, um, it's about, as people will know, um, sort of dystopian book in which people are bred for their organs, certain people, and they know they're going to be dead when they're 30, by the time they're 30. Um, so the question we all think is, what's the point of life if you're going to be dead when you're 30? What's the point of anything? And then, you know, what's the point of life when you're... No, you're going to be dead by seventy or eighty. That, I think it's a book about lifespan, really, and what what and and, and again done with his usual brilliance and subtlety. Uh, Julian Barnes making another appearance uh, with Arthur and George. Tremendous um, book. It is a tremendous a book. Tremendous book. Both characters from real life. George Edeligi, who's wrongly imprisoned, um, uh, sort of Asian background, wrongly imprisoned for killing farm animals in the early part of the twentieth century. And Arthur is none other than um, Arthur Conan Doyle, who neatly enough turned detective to clear George's name. And in the traditional um, Barnes way, we learn a lot about Doyle along the way. Just lots of interesting information thrown in. On Beauty by Zadie Smith. Joe and I argue Zadie quite a lot, but I think (laughs) On Beauty is the sort of perfect balance between her early funny ones and her later more somber work. I'm going to stick by N.W. being just a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I do like the early funny ones, but I do... (laughs) And I, but this this is funny too, but yeah, it's also it it's really funny, but yeah. it's also got probably a bit more yeah. depth to it than than the early funny ones. Um, and uh, hoping that some listeners will remember that Howard uh, from uh, On Beauty was uh, in our book of Love Island, punching above his weight with Marpessa from Paul Beatty's The Sellout, absolutely, and, and then Marianne from Sally Rooney's Normal People, where tragically their shared discussions of Marxism 
weren't enough to get them to the final. Although, uh, rather to Marion's dismay, they did stay together for a while. Uh, <laughs> a Long Long Way by Sebastian Barry. Um, mm. uh, and slightly mixed feelings about Sebastian Barry over the years, but this is one of his early ones. And I really, his subject for a while was basically what happened to his family, which was uh, people who went away to fight for the British Army yep. during the First World War yep. because the, the island was part of Britain. And then they, they come back. Yeah. And they're suddenly traitors because yeah. they've been fighting for Britain. Absolutely. They've been fighting for Britain and now Ireland has had the, had the revelation. I mean, it's, an, it's Again, a great stun subject. stunningly revelatory book. And um, and also uh, Ali Smith's uh, The Accidental, which also yeah. won the Orange Prize yeah. and the Whitbread Book of the Year in that same um, in that same year. The uh, Whitbread Book of the Year I was quite like because it was it, it then became the Costas. So it, but this was before it became the Costas. So there would be a, a novel, a first novel, um, uh, non-fiction and poetry and children's, I think. And then the, then you had to pick the best book of the year of all of those. That, right. and, and it was once put to the chairman of Whitbread Brewery. You know, how can you compare all these different these different things? It's impossible. And he said, oh, it's easy enough. They do it at Crufts every year, yeah. <laughs> which absolutely caused the steam to come out of the ears of everybody in literary London. I wrote, I rather liked. Uh, so anyway, that's my other one, 2005. Very good. Uh, which it's is very glamorous list, actually. Like a lot of those names, you know, Ali Smith, Sadie Smith, Smith's actually. Uh, Julian Have, Barnes. Julian Barnes, I mean, are now kind of being painted into the pantheon of, you know, literary legends. Everybody's unfortunately, annoyingly, made a terrific case for two years each. We've got six, and for some reason, we've set ourselves, or been set, the uh, task of finding the best ever book of shortlist ever, 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 etc. Um, it's quite, quite easy in my mind, James. Uh, so, <laughs> first of all, I suppose, does anybody want to withdraw one of theirs? That would make it easier. Yeah, I think Bobby, you've already. Well, if we have to arrive at one from six, then we're we all should, going to have to withdraw, withdraw one, aren't we? Yes, I, I, I'll withdraw. Uh, with great reluctance, I'll withdraw two thousand. Okay, so you, you're leaving. You're, you're nineteen eighty-five. Nineteen eighty-five. Uh, Joe. I don't know, James. I kind of want to know what past you're or present. <sighs> yeah, that's, that's what you're faced with, isn't it? I know. You, you've got an absolute generational agony to face. Life before you were there, or or what <laughs> actually what spurs you on to? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a tricky one. I, I hate to say it, but I think it is better. The books are better quality, and everyone smoked indoors, and it was just so bitchy and glamorous. So I'm going to go for 1989. To retain, you're going to retain that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep 1989. Wow. I'm going to toss 2016 out the window. I guess. It was a terrible year anyway. Trump, Brexit. Who wants it? Yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly, I think because it suggests something about decades of literature, I'm going to. 2005, I'm very sorry to say goodbye <gasps> no, to you, but I I'm going to stick with 1984. I, I would have chosen yeah. 2005 as the yeah. winner if you'd kept it, James. This is the thing. Oh, I've blown it because I'm sticking, it. I'm sticking with... <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so, rather interestingly, we're left with um, a full 80s lineup. Um, 1985 with The Bone People by Kerry Hume, Iliwaka Peter Carey, The Battle of Pollux by J.L. Carr, Doris Lessing's The Good Terrorist, L Last Letters from Have by Jan Morris, and The Good Apprentice by Iris Murdoch. Previous year, uh, Anita Bruckner, Hotel du Lac, J.G. Ballard's Empire of the Sun, Julian Barnes, Flaubert's Parrot, Anita Desai in Custody, Penelope Lively According to Mark, and David Lodge's Small World. And, that's not enough 80s for you, we've also got 1989, uh, won by Kazuya Shiguru's The Remains of the Day, with the shortlisted authors being Margaret Atwood with Cat's Eye, John Banville, The Book of Evidence, Sybil Bedford, Jigsaw, James Kelman, A Disaffection, and Rose Tremaine, Restoration. I'm going to suggest something quite controversial, which, but quite bookery. When we're all stuck, 
compromise candidate? 2005? I, I would have chosen 2005 as an overall winner. But failing that, I would have gone for my own 1989. Bob? Well, with Julian Barnes, Sebastian Barry and the Shiguro, yes, it's an, it's an extremely and strong... On, on beauty as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But would I yield if my arm was right up my back and I was scratching my own head? Would, <laughs> would I yield... <laughs> Just an image? Yes, there you go. I like to paint these pictures, James. Would I yield... 1985 with the Bone People and Illy Wacker. Uh, uh, can I just say, Illy everyone says Royster in Romp. Yeah. Bored me, Richard. Did it? Really oh, did. <laughs> and I read it in Australia. It was one of these things where uh, I was a big fan of you read a book where you, you yeah. know, where it says it's such a thing to do. Yes. And I, so I was going to Australia, I thought I'm going to take Illy Wacker. Everyone says it's fantastic. Romps along. God, yeah. just, just absolutely. Did it, it really? Yeah, this yeah. picture's, yeah, quite a lot of. Yeah. Pictures of me on that holiday, I think, with it sort of across my face as I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. sleeping. Um, <laughs> and the bone people I haven't read, but I, I, I can't say I love the sound. Not. We really need to come to a decision, guys. I'm not um, sensitive. Yeah, I just to clarify here, you, you, Joe, would go with 05, would you? I would go with 05 with 89 as a runner-up. And you obviously would go with 05. T t I think 05. So I think I think that win. I, I think we can. So well, we I think I think I think, I think we can, Bob, Bob is, <laughs> who's actually read all the books as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but how about we we suggest that from our careful analysis of all the best shortlist that we pronounce 1980s the best decade, but the best single year 2005. How elegant is that as a solution? Well done. Agreed. So after after that. Uh, classic Booker, no, no, the compromise would be too fair. We're thrashing it out in a fair way. We are left with the 1980s definitely being the best decade, but the best single year being 2005 for John Banville, The Sea, Julian Barnes, Arthur and George, Sebastian Barry, A Long, Long Way, Kazuya Ishiguru, Never Let Me Go, Ali Smith, The Accidental, and Zadie Smith on Beauty. And I must say, when you do read this, that it does sound pretty strong. I'm coming towards the conclusion that you're right. Perfect. I wonder if this is how the judges feel. Mm. Yeah, there'll be one that, yes, you'll be the Rabbi Julia Neuberger, will you? We're going out, it's an absolute disgrace. That, yes. that, that book, that's crap, that short It was the word you used. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't it was, like yeah. to say it. No, there. no, indeed. And now you have. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but there we are. So there, there, there we have uh, our, our answer to the best ever book of shortlist, just about. But uh, just about. we commend all those years as well. Yes, and, indeed. And uh, thanks enormously to Bob. It's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank oh, you, no, Bob. It's really been great to have you, Bob. Thanks so much. So, 2005, and if you agree with that or indeed disagree with that, there is a poll on our website where you can vote on your favourite shortlist ever at thebookerprizes.com slash best hyphen shortlist. Also, we've recently launched a Booker Prize book club on Facebook. Um, so to find out more about that, head to facebook.com slash thebookerprizes. That's it for this week. Don't forget to follow us to catch our two special episodes in which we'll take you through all six shortlisted books for 2023 in October. You can find out more about this year's shortlist at thebookerprizes.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Substack at The Booker Prizes. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. The Booker Prize podcast is hosted by Joe Hamia and me, James Walton. It's produced and edited by Kevin Miolo. And the executive producer is John Davenport. It's a Daddy Supiot production. 
for the Booker Prizes. 